Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our nerds. Hello and welcome to The Nerd Degree. My name is Erin Harrington and in this episode, Destination Unknown, we are grabbing our intergalactic passports, plunging deep into nerdly terra incognito and asking the hard questions about maps, geography and travel, namely business or economy, the chicken or the vegetarian option and whether or not that unburdened swallow is African or European. (laughs) Now I'd like to ask each team to uh, introduce themselves and let's start on my right. Hello, uh, my name is Ben Allen. I'm a repository of subcutaneous fat, and I... Uh, uh, what's, what's the nerdiest place you've ever been, Ben? Oh, the nerdiest place I've ever been. Um, at the start of last year, actually, I went to the World Smite Championships, <laughs> which is like, uh, it's like a, a MOBA, multi-online battle arena, and it's not even a big one, but because economies of scale in the States are still worth millions of dollars. And all these people get together in a massive 6,000-seat arena to watch people playing video games. And like they've all got the netball, chinga, 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 chinga things. And the people walking around dressed up as Greek gods. And it was very, very nerdy indeed. Yes. Very good. And who's joining you to... <laughs> very, very good, very good. And who's joining you tonight? Uh, my name is Jeff Clark. I am an improviser, puppeteer, and uh, in, a few, in a couple of months I will be a busker um, in, in an indoor venue as Gary Starlight. Uh, shameless plug. Uh, I, the nerdiest place I have been, um, whilst I have been to the uh, Star Trek exhibition uh, when it came to Australia, and I have also been to a... Uh, to one, Armageddon one, one place. The nerdiest place I have <laughs> been is actually an Auckland sake bar, which was uh, during the during the Armageddon festival, where I was drinking sake and doing shots with Bruce, Tim, Andrea Roman, Romano, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Amanda Connor, and uh, a, and Gail Simone, and a variety of and if anyone gets those names, they will recognise yeah. the deep nerd card. Basically, uh, the, the inventor of Batman the Animated Series, the voice director of Batman the Animated Series, two very prominent, uh, three very prominent comic books writers who are predominantly with DC. That's nerdy. That's nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> and and what is the name of your team tonight? We are the Uncoordinates. Very good. Welcome to the Uncoordinates. <laughs> And over on my left. Hi, my name is Dan Bain. I'm the artistic director of the uh, Christchurch Court Jesters. Uh, the nerdiest place I've ever been to is I went to Bruges. Um, yeah, yeah. Because, mostly because like it was in the movie and because it's like a fucking fairy tale. And But also because like the movie in Bruges is based uh, or kind of... Yeah, thematically based on Harold Pinter's The Dumb Waiter, so I can kind of whip out my Theatre of the Absurd kind of uh, credentials on that one. So thank you for your bemused looks on that. <laughs> um, beautiful. Also, Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. <laughs> and who are you joined by tonight? Hello, my name is Emma Cousden. I'm an actor and an improviser from Christchurch. Um, probably, I haven't been, I'm not much of a uh, stereotypical nerd, but the nerdiest I've been in a place is I went to Hobbiton, and um, I was actually a scale double for a Hobbit in the Hobbit film, so I got to be that guy who walks around and goes, oh, no, 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 we didn't do that on set. Um, so that felt really good. 
news. Very good. And and what's the name of your team tonight? Well, both Emma and myself are quite avid world travellers. Mm. Um, wherever we've kind of gone around the world, we've made it kind of a mission to interact with locals. Me by kind of um, initiating them in fights. Um, and Emma by having sex with them. Yeah. Um, so we are geographic sex and violence. Welcome to geographic sex and violence. <laughs> and we are also joined by an announcer, I believe. <laughs> Probably. So we can't see the curtains closed. He's running. He's running He's around. Running. <laughs> And we Hi, are also joined by saying, an Andrew. announcer. We're Hello, Andrew Keppel. No, his microphone's not on. Hello? We can't hear him. And we are also the, joined by an announcer. The best kind of announcer. The Andrew silent Kippel. announcer. I can't hear what's going oh, on. Oh, there we go. It's a technical difficulty. Sorry. <laughs> let's, let's try that one last time. No and, one saw this coming. <laughs> and also joining us tonight is our announcer, Andrew Keppel. Hello, Andrew. <laughs> Hi, this is Andrew. I can't hear what's going on out there yet. Very good. And but maybe I'll be online soon. Okay, good. And we'll, we'll just work with that. Very good. Okay, so our first round tonight... What are you laughing at? <laughs> our, our first round tonight is called Nerdly News. But first, I would like each team to roll for initiative. 13. 13. 17. 17. Oh, very good. So we're going to start off with geographic sex and violence, which is a phrase that I hope to make much greater use of in the rest of my life. And the first uh, question is, why is Mr. Game Theory turning to liquid a first for civilization? Can you repeat the question, please? <laughs> the question is, why is Mr. Game Theory turning to liquid a first for civilization? Why is Mr. Game Theory uh-huh, turning, turning to liquid? liquid. Why, why, why is that a first, a first for civilization? civilization? <laughs> you guys rolled a 17, so you deal with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anything? Well, yes. Always. Always always something. There's always something. Never nothing. Yes. Uh, it's a first for civilization. Well, because it's so, um, it's a monumental achievement. It, it is a monumental yeah. achievement, yes. but I might pass this over to the uncoordinates, in particular Ben, because this is in your professional field. Uh-oh. Mm. I was going to say, Mr. Gainter, you're not talking about uh, old uh, Daffy Russell Crowe from uh, Beautiful Mind. <laughs> no. No? No. Oh. no um, do, do you know who Team Liquid is, Ben? Are they, are they a uh, esports team? They are. Yes. They are a leading worldwide mm. professional mm. esports organisation. And on October 24th of this year, they announced their creation of a civilization team mm. and an initiative to launch a newly released, uh, or their initiative to um, accompany the newly released strategy game Civilization VI. Oh, and so there's a lovely picture of that up there into the world of competitive sports. Legendary strategy gamer Stephen, Mr. Game Theory Tukowski. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Of yeah. course. Stephen. Mr. Game Theory Tukowski, a former world champion civilization player, will serve as the team's captain. Yeah, have you heard about the really fun civilization glitch that there is that turns Gandhi into a bloodthirsty murderer? Tell us more. Well, um, apparently in, in the game Civilization, each, um, each leader has its own sort of aggression setting, right? Which is, um, you know, the higher the number, the more aggressive they are. And if you've got Gandhi, it's, uh, it's close to zero. But there's a, a, an ability that you get to reduce the aggression level 
of of your of your neighbours, mm-hmm. and if you apply that agree that to Gandhi, it takes him below zero, so it takes him right back up to, to 99, <laughs> and he starts nuking everything. So you can actually have um, Gandhi drop a nuclear bomb on your ass. That, that, that would not be one to tell to the kids because you wouldn't be around. India got quite upset about that as well, I think. I believe yeah, they did, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very culturally offensive. Mm. Mm. Well, well. Speaking, speaking of culturally offensive, here's here's another question. Uh, this one's for the uncoordinates, and it is: Why might the Russians know more about our backyards than we do? Is this something to do with Trump? <laughs> Everything Russian. Spy- <laughs> it could be with spy satellites. Um, uh, oh no, no. Actually, I think I know the answer to this one, which is that there were Russian spies who did a an intense survey of the lands around um, New Zealand, specifically coastal cities. So mm-hmm. They found maps, didn't they, with Russian street names of yeah. Christchurch and, and things like that. I don't, I don't know what the strategic value of Christchurch is. <laughs> no, not, no, you're, you're absolutely high. right. And I do have um, a picture of one of them there here. So during the Cold War, the Soviet military made it their mission to map not just New Zealand, but the entire world. Wait a minute, isn't this the town of Pawnee? <laughs> very, very clever um, And parts of it are right down to the level of individual buildings As you can see Now this venture made it all the way to New Zealand in 1978 And we can see these extraordinarily accurate maps Of Wellington and Christchurch um, There's uh, Central Christchurch there that were drawn up And they, do, you, do you know the sorts of things they include? It's quite, it's quite extraordinary the good food carts to go to and when? <laughs> sort of looking for potentially good sites to put your uh, nuclear submarine base in the Avon River. Yeah. Well, like well kind of, like, because yeah. they, they measured the depth and flow rates of uh, yeah, rivers, yeah. the heights mm. of trees on the hills, uh, details of American military facilities, <laughs> not on our domestic no. maps. Oh, wow. um, the, they didn't quite get everything right. What is right. the strategic <laughs> value of the heights of trees? <laughs> trees are too high. <laughs> they, call, they, off, call off invasion. They, 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 they they cannot see over the top of trees. <laughs> And, and that's what I meant by culturally offensive. <laughs> they did get everything right, though, because there's a building on um, Victoria Street in Central Christchurch that had uh, been labelled a nuclear research laboratory, but it was the former National Radiation Laboratory that operated on the site from the 50s till 2011. But and they, was it? Yeah, and they conducted medical research and they calibrated Geiger counters and plotted the overthrow of the world. Mm-hmm. So, um, Matt nerds and those interested in uh, Cold War information gathering, because of course we all are, uh, should head to the very informative site sovietmaps.com and you can have a look at more examples and there's a book coming out next year called Red Planet How the Soviet Union Secretly Mapped the World and in fact here is an image of where Orange Studio would have been ah, so there's Ferry wow. Road heading down to Boy, the yes. we will call it Red Studio <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right so I'm going to pass this now exceptionally lowball question across oh. to Geographic Sex and Violence thank goodness. thank goodness which is thank you Jeff what does the charming sitcom Parks and Recreation have in common with Cold War Russia? Uh, they've mapped Christchurch? They absolutely have. They have a pretty good map of central Christchurch. Yeah. In fact, um, while it's hit the headlines recently, it was back in 2011 that stills from one particular episode um, uploaded to the Parks and Rec wiki uh, showed the map used to represent Pawnee is in fact a map of central Christchurch, as you have there with the street names wiped out and the addition of a few more public toilets. Yeah, some of them are only barely changed as well. Yeah. Like there are, there are, They just changed like a suffix in the word and stuff like that. And some they didn't yeah. change at all, so Poplar Lane, and Bedford Row are still there. Um, the Avon no, River. Not. <laughs> <laughs> 
too soon, Lynn. Uh, the Avon River becomes the Pawnee River. Christchurch Hospital becomes St Joseph's Medical Centre. And I'm sure the very expensive 166-year-old uh, private boys' school, Christ College, will be none too happy that their neo-Gothic buildings have been colonised by the Pawnee Community College. Uh-huh. Mm. I'm, I'm sorry for stealing that. Hey, that's, that's all right, because actually I heard um, that that was the triple points round. So <laughs> that's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Over to the uncoordinates. <laughs> what bitterly cold slice of the pie celebrates a milestone this month? Uh, can I venture an answer that is not necessarily funny, but maybe mm. correct? <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, are we talking about New Zealand's claim in Antarctica, like a territorial dispute in Antarctica, which we everybody agrees to not really claim anything, but yet we have a map where it looks like kind of a pie chart because Antarctica's kind of round, and, like, New Zealand's like, yeah, this is our 25%, we'll fight you for it, except we're never going to fight anyone for it. Yeah. You're mostly right, right. Um, except we're not talking about New Zealand. Uh, what we are talking about is, is do, you, do you know? Do you know? No, if the answer isn't funny, I tune out. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> just destroyed my will to live. Well, yeah, what we are to with actual, answer. Sorry, answer. there's about 11 countries or something, are they? Like, or, or he's still going. Yeah. He's, he's still going. <laughs> <laughs> we, I actually, I actually bought the map with me. <laughs> well, funny you say that, yeah. because, because I, I bought the map with me. So we're talking here about the micronation of the Grand Duchy of West Arctica. West Arctica. Which you can go to www.westarctica.com. Antarctica.info to have a look at. It celebrates its 15th birthday this month. So countries that have claimed Antarctic territory have sliced the continent, as you say, into pie shapes with the South Pole at the centre. And this micronation has one of the biggest slices, or it's claimed one of the biggest slices, at just over 600,000 square miles of barren ice fields, Rocky Mountain ranges, Penguin-populated coastlines and two dormant volcanoes. Yeah. Um, and its founder is this guy called um, the Grand Duke Travis McHenry, who trained as an actor and anthropologist and then joined the Marines. Travis um, McHenry sounds like a fake fucking name. <laughs> 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 What's your name? Uh, Travis McHenry. So he's, he's an actor, though, so it's probably a stage name. All the other ones were probably taken. His name's probably something like Tom Cruise. Well, he stated in a news item just this week that he created West Arctica out of a desire to get away from everyone else. He said, in the claimant letter I sent out to the United Nations, I stated clearly that I just wanted a place where I could be alone. What's, what's the irony? What's the He's irony? surrounded by penguins. In that? He's surrounded by penguins. There are so many penguins there. Well, there's, there's something even more ironic about a place that you just want to go to to be alone, though. He's never yes. actually he's Always never actually been Pokemon there. He's never been there. Yeah, no, he's never been there. Because it's the home of Superman's Fortress of Solitude. Yes, it's the home of Superman's Fortress of Solitude, and also it costs fifty thousand dollars a trip to go there. So instead, he spends ten to twenty hours a week doing admin. He writes letters, he maintains the website, he sends out knighthoods and titles uh, because West Arctica is also a non-profit with environmental leanings. And in fact, if you want to be a baron or a um, duke or what may have you, you can send money for this and you can get your own commemorative coins. So up there we have the Grand Duchy of West Arctica $1 coin with some wooden emperor penguins on it, Uh, Driscoll Islands uh, $10 coin, and so on and so forth. Oh, thank God Christmas is just around the corner. The, The Nazis claimed big bits of Antarctica. There was a Nazi expedition to Antarctica in about 1937 and they flew over it with a plane and literally dropped swastika flags on it. <laughs> and the reason they went to Antarctica, and this is true, because they knew they were about to start World War II and they were worried that if they invaded Norway, they wouldn't get the whale oil that Norway had supplied them to make their main supply of margarine 
And so they're like, we have to get, go to Antarctica to make margarine. And they went down there and they dropped. You can look it up. I'm not making this up. And now there's just a continent full of Nazi penguins wandering around. <laughs> wandering around the, the, the Grand Duchy of West Arctica. What does um, Travis McHenry say is his favourite part of running the country? I would assume it's kind of getting to go in the hole in the middle of Antarctica that leads into the hollow earth where the UFOs all live. Yes. Mm. That's, that's, that's not on his list. Well, um, of course, because it's a secret. <laughs> like... The admin. He loves the admin. Everyone like, loves the admin. Like you entered UN cocktail party. Well, almost, Ben. I'm going to give you a point for that because he says his favourite part of running the country is attending meetings with the leaders of other micronations, especially when they're formal occasions. It can be a lot of fun to get dressed in my uniform with the medals and everything. That's when I feel the proudest to be a grand oh duke. Oh my God, you boring asshole. Go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you get medals for? Put my Did uniform on today. Medals for and if he's a grand duke, does that make him subservient to the emperor penguin? Well, well it's funny you say that because he said one of the um, the reasons why he did this was because he wanted to celebrate the benefits of a monarchy. Right. But clearly that's not working out very no, well for him because no. he's a bit fucking mad. Yeah. But that's right. Right, and so that is the end of this round. Andrew. Andrew in the booth. Can you tell yes. us about the scores? Yes, I can. Can you hear us yet? Can we hear him? Uh, yes, the uncoordinates here at the moment are leading on 15 points and geographic sex and violence are coming up behind them with four points. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry, I forgot, I forgot they had the triple points round. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, the triple points round actually gives you... Six points. All right. <laughs> now, now we're talking. Facts may be boring, but they do count for something. <laughs> right, this next round is a quotes round. So in this round, the nerds must identify quotes from film, television, literature. You are awarded points for naming where the quote comes from and then bonus points for finishing the quote if you can do so. So just ding in on this one. Where we're going... We don't need roads. Correct. Spoken by Doc Emmett Brown at the end of Back to the Future and at the start of Back to the Future Part 2. Very good. Because you you gave the character as well, which was the extra wanker points. (laughs) That's that's right. Extra wanker points for characters. Yeah. Uh, We'd like to give uh, Ben one of our points for just... (laughs) (laughs) Next quote. Elmira Gulch, just because you own half the county doesn't mean that you have the power to run the rest of us. Jeff. That is, I'm not going to tell you who said it, (laughs) but it was said during The Wizard of Oz. It was, it was said by Auntie M. Mm. Finishing up, and now, well, being a Christian woman, I can't say it. Mm. Uh, This next one's a long one. Uh, You know, the first attraction I ever built when I came down south from Scotland, it was a flea circus, Petticoat Lane, really quite wonderful. We had a wee trapeze and a merry-go carousel and a seesaw. They all moved. Yep. I can't finish the quote, but... No, you should. No, I can't. I don't know the rest of the quote, but it's from uh, Jurassic Park. Very good. Mm, Spoken by Professor Hammond. Very good. Mm. Extra points for nerdy old Jeff. Yeah. (laughs) Next quote. Uh, The first place you'll find is a sleaze pit called Bartertown. Now, if the earth doesn't swallow you up first, this place sure as hell will. Which one is it? Pick one. It's the third one. It's the third one. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. That's correct. You're not even clapping for him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait till someone insults me, then clap then. 
Next quote. This is George. He lived in Africa. George of the jungle. No, that's no. incorrect. Curious George. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sent by yeah. the man in the yellow hat. Absolutely. Jeff got bored and rode. No, 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 no. Where's no, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, kids, it's become a sports underdog movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Next quote. Fuck you, Mars. Uh, from the Martian. Yep, that's correct. Mark Watney in the Martian. Next quote. Somewhere in La Mancha, in a place whose name I do not care to remember, a gentleman lived not long ago. Yep. From Don Quixote. Yep, so Miguel de Cervantes, Don Quixote from 1605. Next one. Hey, I'm liking this new view. Friendship Island has expanded. Glad they finally... I'm going to go on this side. <laughs> uh, that's from Friendship Island. Uh, that's, that's, that's not from French Island. That sounds violence. like a great book, though. I'd read that. I'd inside read Out, Island. spoken by Joy, inside the head of Riley. No, it's, it's spoken by lots and lots of characters mm. inside the head of Riley. But So you only get half a point. Oh, fair enough. Jeff, I, I had lines from fear, that's anger, right. sadness, that's disgust, right, and joy. Next quote. I love the way this country smells. I'll never forget it. It's kind of spicy. Yep. Is it from Apocalypse Now? No, it's not. I'm afraid. <laughs> Anyone? Napalm in the morning. Uh, it's from that very racist Wes Anderson film, The Darjeeling Limited. Oh. Next one. The first place that I can well remember was a large, pleasant meadow with a pond of clear water in it. The Lion in the Meadow. Mm. <laughs> no, but Barbara you... Mahi. <laughs> No, but you're in the right genre. Spoken by the mother. <laughs> you're in the right age bracket, though. So, 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 if anyone would like to try again. The first place that I can well remember was a large, pleasant meadow that didn't have a lion, but it did have a pond of clear water on it. Watership Down. No, it's from the, um, it's the opening line of Black Beauty. Oh. oh. Um, this one's a bit of a long one. Uh, it starts off... In that empire, the art of cartography attained such perfection that the map of a single province occupied the entirety of a city, and the map of the empire, the entirety of a province. You give me blank looks? That's a, lot time, of, that's a lot of work for the cartographers. <laughs> in time, those unconscionable maps no longer satisfied, and the Cartographers Guild struck a map of the empire whose size was that of the empire, and which coincided point for point with it. I could keep reading it. It's a, it's a short story of about only four lines long. <laughs> yeah, do the whole thing. Oh, shall I do the whole yeah, thing? Yeah, go on. Um, the following generations, who were not so fond of the study of cartography as their forebears had been, saw that the vast map was useless and with, not without some pitilessness, was it, that they delivered it up to the inclemencies of sun and winters. In the deserts of the West, still today, there are the tattered ruins of that map, inhabited by animals and beggars. In all the land, there is no other relic of the disciplines of geography. This anyone? is the last uh, meeting minutes of the Department of Conservation. <laughs> does, does anyone in the audience know this one? Yeah. Yeah, Jorge Luis Borges. Oh, screw oh, that guy. Of course, that guy. Um, it's, a, it's a short story called... Piss off out of here, Borges, with your chickens and your things. On, <laughs> on exactitude and science, and the audience gets uh, ten points for that. <laughs> Interestingly enough, taking them into second place. <laughs> Next quote, next quote, all that lies between the lamppost and the great castle. 
It's from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. That is correct. Yeah. It's not in the great castle of Caer Paravel on the Eastern Sea. So that's the fawn describing the land of Narnia. And final quote, um, I'm taking this bloody car to Invercargill, boy. <laughs> Goodbye, pork pie. Yes, Emma, yeah. that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did a thing. Showing your value. Yeah. Yeah. Not that sympathy clap, Jeff. I flew too close to the sun, man. I was about to... <laughs> Jeff, you me. absolutely can, Thank Emma. You. I'm gonna dole them out Suck like Santa that, Claus. Yeah. Right, so so that's the end of that round. Andrew, how are we going? Uh, right, we have. Oh, this is quite interesting. Oh. On second place, equal geographic sex and violence, and the audience. <laughs> <laughs> but the uncoordinates are roaring ahead of 25 and a half points. Very good. But a few well-placed insults could turn it all around. <laughs> <laughs> right, so this uh, next round is called Location, 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 Connection, Connection, Connection. So this is a connections round in which you'll need to figure out what connects a group of three names, things, or places. So points are awarded for accuracy or, failing that, creativity. First question, you can just ding in on this one. Where do a horde of the undead and a cyborg policewoman meet during a month of darkness? Yes. I am <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's certainly feasible, but it's not the question, uh, the answer I was looking for. the undead? Yep. A cyborg policewoman and a month of darkness. Cyborg policewoman? Oh, it's uh, 30 days and nights. Yes, and, nights and days. So, so, so that's one of the things we're talking about? Yeah. Uh, so it's in, and, uh, it's in the Arctic. Yeah. Yes. What? I don't understand the question entirely. No, I'm like, all this, uh, much of a muchness. It's 20, uh, 28 days later and uh, 30 days and nights and uh, Sandra, that Sandra Bullock movie where she learns to the value of something. <laughs> it's all set in the yeah. well, well, actually, I was hoping to coax out of you that there are three films that were all shot in New Zealand. So oh. 30 Days of Night, Ghost in the Shell, which was shooting oh, in Wellington yeah. earlier this year, um, 30 Days of Night in Queenstown and around Auckland, and the 2013 reboot of Evil Dead outside of Auckland. Mm. Next question. Can you uh, put your finger on what connects Civic City, Coast City, and Capital City? Yes. All three are cities. <laughs> you don't get a pity point for that, but I appreciate the participation. Are they, are they all cities that exist in DC Comics? Mm, kind of. Capital City's in the Simpsons. Uh, that's where they go. Capital City. Yeah, that's right. Capital, capital. That's very city. true. Oh. What? Oh, yeah. they're, uh, they're all fictional versions of Washington, DC. Uh, no, what, what they all are are names that writer Bill Finger considered for Gotham City. Oh. So Gotham had um, long been a well-known nickname for New York City, even before Batman's introduction in 1939. But where did the name Gotham City, in terms of the comics, actually come from? Well, it happened when he was, when he was hungry and he wanted to eat something, and he asked his friends, have you got, got ham? And, um... <laughs> 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 They haven't got the audience on site today, Jeff. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Do we have any, we have any advances on pork products? <laughs> well, Bill Finger saw the name Gotham Jewelers in the phone book and liked it. Although the association of Gotham with New York actually goes back way further than that. Um, to the uh, Visigoths. Not, not quite, but there's no pity point for that either. Um, where do DC comic? Actually, I'll come back to that. But where do DC Comics supplementary materials and role-playing resources place Gotham and Metropolis? In fact, in somewhere within the continental United States. Well, it's on the east coast, I think. 
You're going to have to narrow the, it like, down a little. Across, across the bay from Metropolis. No, but that's the terrible film mm. version. Um, is, is it the East Coast? Is it somewhere between New York and uh, Greenland? That's, that's very specific, Ben. Yeah. Um, Gotham uh, situated in New Jersey and Metropolis in Delaware. In fact, Batman writer and editor Dennis O'Neill has said that in terms of tone, figuratively, Batman's Gotham City is Manhattan, below 14th Street at 11 minutes past midnight on the coldest night in November, and Metropolis is Manhattan between 14th and 100th Streets on the brightest, sunniest July day of the year. Sometimes writers are douchebags. Mm. (laughs) Does, Does anyone know... Though, where the original Gotham is, the original, original Gotham that gave um, that, that name Gotham to New York City colloquially. It's not like a musical music festival with a lot of My Chemical Romance and that kind of stuff where people just, yeah. Excuse me, that's, 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 that's no. No, no, no it's, actually, it's actually in England, in Nottinghamshire. Um, a place called um, Gotham a few hundred years ago had a reputation for madness. Tales of absurd actions and infectious insanity were collected in um, a book that was published in 1565 called The Merry Tales of Madman of Gotham. So Washington Irving, who wrote... Uh, was it Irving Washington? Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, Sleepy Hollow, Rip Van Winkle, um, applied the name to New York in a humorous magazine to refer to New York as a place full of fools. Mm. Right, where might you go to go to Digitopolis? Through the doldrums via the mountains of ignorance. Were they through the stops of Odysseus on the way home? (laughs) (laughs) He pretty much went everywhere. He did did take the long way home. Are they places in Fantasia? No, but again, you're in the right genre. Mm, this slide is no help at all. No, this, this slide's helpful, though. So they are all places in the Kingdom of Wisdom, which is the setting for the delightful 1961 children's novel, uh, The Phantom Tollbooth. Other places um, include Dictionopolis and the Castle in the Air. Here's, here's something that's maybe a little bit more to your tastes. What is the connection between the following? Swastika, dildo, and Vulcan. <laughs> wow. Star Trek sex Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> It's, 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 Which is it's, my uh, role-playing character. Not, yeah, things, yeah. That have been, things that have been dropped in Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure there's some truth in that. Any, any, anything else? Is it a dildo is a dick and so was Hitler? <laughs> well, they're actually all places in Canada. Oh. So Dildo, Newfoundland uh, is oh. a place where the name dates from the early 1700s. And the origin's unknown. It might have been someone's name or just somebody playing a joke before they realised that it was being written down and applied to a map. Um, Who Swastik- lives in Dildo? It's <laughs> like, come on, kids. It's actually Dildo Lake. <laughs> so oh, even better. marvellous Dildo Uh, Swastika, Ontario was named uh, when the swastika was considered to be a sign of good luck and Vulcan, Alberta was named of course for the Roman god of fire and volcanoes but on a scale of 0 to 10 how nerdy do you think the town of Vulcan, Alberta is? Are you looking for a number answer here? Because in that case 7.3 yeah. I was say, did they, have they put up some kind of statue or something? Have like, they ever? Yeah. Hang on, where are we? There we go. Oh, yeah. 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 So what we're seeing here is um, a picture of a statue in Vulcan, uh, Alberta. Uh, it's a super nerdy place. Since the original show, the town has embraced the association of Vulcan, that is Spock's homeworld, with their town. There is a Star Trek-themed tourist station, a virtual reality game, and a replica of the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek V, which is uh, up there on a pedestal, which which includes plaques with various Star Trek languages all around it. Looks like a firm 7.3 to me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 7.3 will do. There's like an ongoing rivalry between two 
nowhere locations, two tiny towns in Scotland, who both want to claim to be the birthplace of the character Scotty. Well, that was, in fact, my follow-up question. Right, so, right, right. so tell me more about that, Ben. So, like, so in one source it was said, like, Scotty, you know, the character, was born in this place, and mm-hmm. then somewhere else in a book or something said it was he was born in this place. And they've had this ongoing... The actual places have had these, like, rivalries, like, no, we're the birthplace of Scotty. And that's, yeah, that's, like... They want to put, again, like, let's put up a statue and the other town's like, no, you can't do that. Do you, do you know what the verdict was in the end? No, I, I think, think the verdict was... of that is just Scottish people will fight about anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't have JJ, didn't JJ Abrams mm-hmm. probably just came along and said, actually, he was born in a mystery box. Yeah. Well, well, the, the scripts and production materials and the family of James Doohan, who played Scotty, support the claim of Linlithgow, which is uh, 30 k's west of Edinburgh to being Scotty's birthplace. However, Scotty says in uh, the episode Wolf in the Fold in 1966, that he is an old Aberdeen pub crawler. And Aberdeen city leaders proposed plans to uh, erect a monument to the actor and the character. But, just but I don't know if that ever He could have just got a university there. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe he like moved out of his small town to Aberdeen. And like you know, found himself in in the pubs of Aberdeen. Do do you know why? Well, James Doohan wasn't Scottish though. Do you know why he decided to have a Scottish accent for the show? What? For, for, for lols? <laughs> yeah, for the lulls, that's exactly why. No, what's what? What about the Scottish people? Did he decide? Uh, it's the kind of um, uh, the, the cantankerous nature. Yeah, it was, and he thought their their cantankerousness, their dourness, their dourness, um, meant that they made the best engineers. So well, also, point, the, the I mean, the Scottish point, have Dan. a wonderful history of engineering breakthroughs from uh, Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone. Um, and uh, Daniel Faraday, the inventor of the Faraday cage. Like, mm-hmm. these are all um, things that have come out of um, Scottish universities. Taking that giant telegraph pole and just throwing, throwing it. Throwing it. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> major engineering. Yeah. Getting from one place to another. Yeah. The Tossing ba- the cable. Yeah, yeah. The, the, Something the, I the plan on doing. The was a major breakthrough in, in the sound engineering. If, if you're killed on, like, you're going to toss the cable. If you do want to go to Vulcan, Alberta, though, can I can I highly recommend that you either um, go or don't go as your um, disposition inclines you in June, where they host a Spock Days and Galaxy Fest, which um, hosts a costume contest, appearances from Star Trek cast members, and a Klingon-inspired stunt game competition. In the short amount of time that I was in Alberta, I saw a guy dressed as Darth Vader who had his baby dressed as a stormtrooper and he was holding the baby in his stormtrooper outfit in his arms. And as well as disturbing, it was like wildly inappropriate in context. <laughs> they were at a funeral. Yet that yeah. wasn't the nerdiest place you've ever been. What's the equivalent of Spock Day at Dildo Lake? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you you don't, you're, you're better off not knowing. Like, you're, like, you're really better off not knowing. Yeah. I wonder how many batteries they get through in a day. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, I have another question for you. <laughs> so, so I'd like you to tell me, what are the following? The Hobo Dyer, the Dymaxian, and the Waterman Butterfly? Dildos. <laughs> Pretty good names for dildos, but not quite what I'm Especially looking for. Especially the last one. Yeah. The Waterman Butterfly. So we have the Hobo Dyer, um, which is hyphenated. <laughs> hobo Dyer. The Dymaxian. Is that some kind Dimexian? of like. And the Waterman Butterfly. Is the Hobo Dyer some kind of uh, euthanasia program for homeless people? <laughs> no, 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 it's for, for kind of um, 
changing their skin tones. <laughs> yeah, color, right. Are they, are, they some kind of, are they some kind of research facilities? No, but they'd, they'd certainly be very good names for research facilities, I think. Uh, they're types of mattress. <laughs> mm. um, I, can't, I can't say I don't use oh, no, they're, they're, they're not They're not uh, map projections. They absolutely uh, are map projections. Oh, Here we go. Yes. Very good. You can have a clap for that one. So they yeah, are each. Thanks, thanks for that slow clap, everyone. <laughs> Right, so they are each different types of map projections. So um, the hobo die, which is the one uh, top left for those of you uh, not at home listening on the radio, uh, is a cylindrical equal area projection in which latitude and longitude lines form a stable grid. This was a map that was commissioned in uh, 2002 by Bob Abrams and Howard Bronstein of Map Makers ODT Inc. So the hobo comes from Howard and Bob, Mm. and Dyer was their uh, cartographer, Mick Dyer. Um, and you can buy it in lots of different formats, sometimes with uh, north at the top and sometimes with south at the top. I like, I like how the one in the bottom left-hand corner looks like a chicken blowing a cow of cigarette smoke out of its feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that one is, in fact, the Dymaxion, and it was designed by architect, designer, and inventor Buckminster Bucky Fuller. And it's a projection of a world map onto a surface of an isocahedron, which can be unfolded and flattened into two dimensions. It has no up or down, only in and out, to challenge what he saw as cultural bias with the association of north and up with superior and south and down with inferior. And the one that we have on the right there is the Waterman Butterfly, and that one's from 1996. So the arrangement is an unfolding of a globe treated as a truncated octahedron, and that is certainly the nerdiest thing that I have said all day. It's quite awesome how on that one, New Zealand is no longer next to Australia. Yeah. I I do, yeah. As far away as possible. You couldn't be further away. (laughs) So the best-known projection is perhaps the Mercator projection, which is a cylindrical map projection that was presented uh, by a Flemish geographer and cartographer in the 1500s. Um, Points, super nerdy points, are going to go to anyone who can tell me the names of any other map projections, and I have a big, long list, most of which I can't pronounce. Uh, The Waterman Butterfly is one of them. Uh, (laughs) Any other The Hobo Dora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Treasure map. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, treasure map doesn't happen to be on my list I'm sorry, you know uh, There's the wizard's upside down map mm. That's actually a version of um, Sorry, I didn't bring it but, but a very similar one to the one up on the top It can be flipped up and down uh, mm. There's the overhead projector uh, <laughs> <laughs> What about those like lame tattoos That people get of maps of the world When they think they're really well travelled like, oh, like The, the, tra- yeah. the, the, the tramp stamp projection mm. yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. How do you not <laughs> There's like the psychological, There's like this psychological projector Where you don't go anywhere And you blame your parents <laughs> Yeah that's good <laughs> I've got that tattooed on my thigh as well <laughs> Other ones include um, The bottomly uh, the the Collington, um, Eckert's two through six, oh. although one and five seem to be missing in the middle of there. The mnemonic, um, lots of things with many uh, syllables that I certainly can't pronounce. The Times, Stereographic, and the Winkle Triple, which I was quite um, happy with as well. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Dymaxion is a term that uh, Buckminster Fuller associated with a great deal of his work. I don't know if you know much about him. He's a pretty interesting guy. Um can you tell me where this terrific word came from? Dymaxion. Dymaxion. Uh, does it come from Dymaxia, a small planet which is in the uh, distant reaches of space where they sit around and make maps for fun? 
No. No. <laughs> Dimexian. Uh, well, obviously, uh, die from the Latin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm. To uh, mean. To mean Maxian. Yeah. Uh, Maxian, obviously, uh, heaps. Hmm. So heaps of Latins. <laughs> that's, I think that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good try. I thought so. That's, that's a really good try, Dan. Yeah. That's, that's a good try. Try Maxian. Yeah, well done. Um, Dimaxian is a portmanteau of the words dynamic, maximum, and tension. Um, and he used it for all sorts of things, including a Dimaxian house, uh, a Dimaxian deployment unit, the Dimaxian car. Um, he used Dimaxian to describe the polyphasic sleep schedule he followed, which consisted of four 30-minute naps uh, scattered throughout the day. And he had this really elaborate journal, which was this really specific, detailed self-documentation of his life, and he called that the Dimaxian chronophile. It's a shame you didn't make a dildo. Yeah. The maximum, the maximum teaching house. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a good idea. Like, no. like your four-year-old drives a fire truck into the wall, mm. and the whole thing goes boing. Just like <laughs> the maximum. Yeah. Doesn't seem like a good plan. Well, that's that's the end of that round. Um, and can we go over to Andrew and check the scores? Well, the audience have stayed at home, still on ten, but geographic sex and violence have been breaking new ground. They're now on twelve. Oh, whereas the, <laughs> you've got two points since yeah. last time. <laughs> and the uncoordinates have really put themselves on the map with twenty-nine. Wow. Well, well, you might do a little bit better in this round, which is called Hometown Advantage. This is a quick fire round. So we all know and love Pawnee, Indiana, the home of Parks and Rec. Gilmore Girls fans who are debating the worthiness of the upcoming miniseries hold a very special place in their hearts for Stars Hollow. And I can't think of anyone who would want to live in the unstable, smouldering hellhole that is King's Landing. But what film and television series are set in the following fictional places? So just ding in. Haddonfield, Illinois. That is Friday the 13th. No. No. (laughs) You're you're, you're pretty close, though. Haddonfield. Haddonfield, Illinois is from Halloween. Cabot Cove. Yep. It's Jaws. No, it's Murder, She Wrote. Uh, Finger on the pulse. Finger on the pulse here at Nerd Degree. Um, Hill Valley, California. The Hills Have Eyes. Back to the Future. <laughs> it was Back to the Future. The, the, the oxymoronic name of Hill Valley, California, was allegedly in later films uh, named after William Bill Hill. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Sunnydale, California. Buzzing the Vampire. Yes. Uh, Hawkins, Indiana. Uh, Stranger Things. Correct. You got one. I don't, yeah, don't, don't be so surprised. <laughs> Castle Rock. A great deal of Stephen King's writing. That is exactly what I had written here. Um, <laughs> Bikini Bottom. Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's my question. Yeah. New New York. Futurama. Correct. Genoa City, Wisconsin. Uh, Princess Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> That's Genovia. <laughs> I should get a point for that. It was, it was close, but it was, in fact, The Young and the Restless. Oh, close. The Robo-Hungarian Empire. Is that 1984? No. Robo-Hungarian. Robo-Hungarian Empire. 
It's another Futurama one. It's yeah. where Bender's uncle lives. Oceania. Uh, That's correct. Uh, Royston Vasey. Uh, League of Gentlemen. That is correct. And yeah. there's a picture up there from uh, the Royston Vasey Chronicles. It's a local place for local people. It is a local place for local people. Weatherfield. Coronation Street. Uh, Ocean City. It's an animation. It's uh, C-Lab 2012. No. Snorks. No, it's Bob's Burgers. Um, the Village. The Village. So No, that was from The Prisoner. Um, oh. Cobra Island. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, correct. Sodor. Thomas the Tank It engine. is, it is a dystopian nightmare of an island inhabited yeah, by talking trains and ruled over by a fat controller. So how does, like, how does, like, every episode, every single week, there is a derailment on top of, like, how does the fat controller get it? Does he just bribe everyone that comes to, like... And when I was researching this episode, I went and found a map of it, and it kind of connects the Isle of Man to mainland England. Oh so God, every like, derailment, like, knocks is, the Isle of Man there completely There is an actual... Bishopric of Sodor or something. It's an actual place, but it doesn't exist, but there's a bishopric of it or something weird. But I don't know, like, every week, every week, like, you know, Percy crashes into a chocolate factory or something like that. <laughs> this is like a train crashes into a chocolate factory, and, like, what's the upshot of this? And it's like, Percy was covered in sticky chocolate. Great, Percy. And 20 good men are dead in that chocolate factory. Spoken with the anger of a father of I young know. children. <laughs> um, Equestria. My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Spoken like the father of some of young children. Sure, um, let's go with that. <laughs> and, and, and the final one is Kyrgyzstan. Spelt um, K-Y-R-Z-B-E-K-I-S-T-A-N. No? It's a non-existent country accidentally invented by the New York Times due to a typographical error on January the 7th, 2015, causing a flurry of activity in social media, including parody accounts and websites. So that's the end of that round. Andrew, how are we going on the scores? Uh, we have the... Are we there? You have to wave it. Like, yep. You've got to wave okay. like this is his time. Uh, the uncoordinates... <laughs> He's saying that we're in the lead. <laughs> what a twist. Well, how about we just check back in with Andrew a little bit later on, but let's give them a clap anyway. <laughs> We're now at the final round, and it is a who would win round. Uh, it is the You Can Be My Wingman Anytime edition. So film, television, literature and pop culture are filled with a wide array of travelling companions from the deadpan, such as Don Quixote's Sancho Panza, to the morose Marvin the Paranoid Android, to the homoerotic Lord of the Rings Sam Gamgee. In this round, each team must make a case as to why their chosen character is the greatest bag-toter, map-wielder and sidekick out there. So, the uncoordinates, before we start, can you please let me know who you are going to be arguing for? Yeah, well, we'd like to argue, Erin, for the, uh, from the, the travelling companion of the classic film hero of the 1980s uh, Z-grade fantasy series, Beastmaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everywhere Beastmaster went, he was accompanied by his, uh, his black tiger... Mm-hmm. Uh, his two ferrets and his eagle. 
So uh, a black tiger, two ferrets, and an eagle. Do they do they have a name? That's right. Yes. We looked them up on Wikipedia. Yep. Only early. Uh, the eagle's called Shirak. Yeah. The black tiger is called Ra. And and the the ferret's called Kodo and Polo. And together, how are you going to refer to them? Uh, the the beast pack. The beast pack. Okay, so the uncoordinates are going to be arguing for the beast pack. How about you, geographic sex and violence? Uh, well, one of one of I guess the favourite uh, kind of cultural icons. Uh, of certainly the 90s and mm-hmm. then uh, even even on through to the present day is, of course, Bart Simpson. So we've decided to go with his uh, particular wingman, so we'll be arguing that Milhouse Van Houten... <laughs> Milhouse Van Houten... ...is uh, the greatest wingman of all time. Versus the beast pack. <clears throat> okay, so um, I've decided to allocate uh, 25 points... Oh, my God. ...to this round. So random. I know, so, so random. Geographic, sex and violence, uh, your, um, let us know... Why Millhouse is the best wingman? You have 60 seconds starting now. Well, I think if tonight's proved anything is that an underdog is um, a good way to approach things. And I think there is no greater underdog than Millhouse. And maybe he's going to, like, surprise you along the journey. Um, unless we forget he's sporting many um, uh, good things, like very thick glasses and flood pants, um, just in case of emergencies. He also has elf in pog form. So um, there's, there's sort of endless opportunities uh, there, I think. Yeah, and so as, as a protagonist, you want your wingman to be kind of as shit as possible. I agree. And that's why we think that Milhouse is kind of the perfect wingman. He's never going to look better than you. Um, he's always going to seem desperate and weird and traumatised by his parents' affairs and the fact they don't love him. Um and, but he always has a goal, mm. which is just to achieve anything, yes. which he won't. The goal to achieve anything, which he won't. Over to the uncoordinates. Can you pitch us as to why the Beast Pack is, in fact, the best wingman slash uh, travelling companion? Well, obviously having the Beastmaster as your travelling companion is fantastic because you don't just get the Beastmaster, you get his menagerie with him. He's got um, an eagle, so the eagle can go and scout and find things of interest for you to go to look at. He has the uh, black tiger, which is cooler than a regular tiger. Um, that's just got cool points. I mean, yeah. extra point. I mean the, the key is diversity of roles, as Jeff was alluding to. I think, like, for any situation, like, you've got someone on there. You've got Shirak the eagle who can scout ahead. You've got the ferrets who can scout into these small crevices and, and steal you those crucial items. And you've got your black tiger, who is surprisingly good at changing a tire. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, in any situation, you've got someone to call on. Yeah. And of course, you've got the Beastmaster himself, who is a, a, a tanned, muscular fellow who would likely attract a lot of attention and assist you in many things. Like, because he's not limited to the three beasts, he's master of all beasts. And just the, these are the three, of all the beasts, these are the three most handy that he has picked out. Because he could have had like a cobra, an anaconda, a donkey. No, he's gone for the most utilitarian animals there are. The most utilitarian animals there are. <laughs> Terrific. Right, so back over to geographic sex and violence. I'd like a rebuttal and maybe a bit more of a, um, a pimp for your millhouse. That's right. Well, do we have 30 seconds for that? You do. Okay, Go. Good, good. Important to know. Well, first of all, I don't know what kind of situation the other team are finding themselves in mm. where, like, a black tiger and, like, a scouting eagle is actually a useful thing to have. Yes. Um, whereas for me, like, having... Uh, like an underling that you can bully is way more useful. For example, observe this evening. It's been kind of just 
me occasionally being rude to Emma. Um, <laughs> Furthermore, like their description of their beast pack was incredibly sexual, and I think maybe they are <laughs> ad- guiding their attention in the wrong direction, whereas we have no attraction to Millhouse. No attraction <laughs> to Millhouse. Zero. Zero. Zero attraction to Millhouse. Um, what do you have to say to that, the uncoordinates? You well, have think, 30 seconds. Well, I think the point there that there's no attraction to Millhouse is, uh, is central to our rebuttal in terms of Millhouse is increasing an incredibly off-putting character. By having Millhouse around, you do not make yourself look cooler. You make yourselves, as a collection, on average, less appealing. He's not a good wingman. It, it, it is canon that any time he has any kind of success, he ruthlessly turns on whoever he is, work, who he is with at the time. And there are literally countless scenarios in which an eagle would be handy. I can name 17 off the top of my head. I won't, but I can. <laughs> 17 unstated reasons as to why an eagle is, is handy. Is there a parking warden in the area, for example? Is, is somebody wearing the okay, same okay, outfit okay. as you, me? You've been, been, you've you had, had your time. Two, you've right. two trouser legs. You've had your time. You've had your time. Okay, right. Just dial it back. It's okay. Right, so so we've heard some arguments. I need each of you to, to wrap things up with perhaps a pithy one-liner or, or quick uh, response as I to wish why... I had a fish right now. <laughs> as, as to why your wingman is in fact the best. Geographic, sex and violence. Well, uh, through the 90s through to today, all we can say is that everything's coming up Millhouse. Oh, very good. <laughs> And over to you, the uncoordinates. We wrap up. Beast master, best mister. Right. Well, the audience clearly has strong opinions on this, and, and that's helpful because I'm going to be turning to you, the audience, to help us decide who is the winner of this round. Um, do you think the winner is Millhouse? <laughs> or do you think the winner is the miscellaneous beast pack? It's pretty tight, but I'm pretty sure that Millhouse has it in this game. Can I raise a point of contention, Eric? Yes. Millhouse is unable to win anything. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, let let me rephrase this. Um, Millhouse hasn't won. Geographic sex and violence has won with their choice of Millhouse. It's about time it won. (laughs) Right, so while Andrew is calculating the final scores, um, I'd like to encourage you to uh, find us online, either on Facebook at The Nerd Degree or on Twitter at Nerd Degree or on iTunes or on our website, nerddegree.com, where you can browse through the last two years' worth of shows. You can also join us for live recordings at Orange Studio in Christchurch on the first Wednesday of every month, and we love having you here. Over to Andrew, what are the final scores? Well, it's an interesting one. The uncoordinates have been very, very uh, ambitious this evening, but they sailed right off the edge of the world with 40 points, and the other team managed to go into orbit with 41 points. <laughs> it's geographic sex and violence. Well, congratulations to Geographic Sex and Violence. Commiserations to the uncoordinates. Thank you very much for coming along tonight. Uh, Thanks, everyone, and good night. (laughs) 